The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Pure Hoops podcast, we are back. Basketball is back. We've got a great episode today. Special guest Jonathan Fagan from the Houston Chronicle will be joining us to talk everything Houston Rockets. But first, BJ Armstrong, the bubble is active. The bubble is safe. Guys are on the court. It's on TV. What were your first impressions seeing the action this week? Well, my my, my immediate impression of the games as I watched, I think it was three or four games yesterday, was how sophisticated the coaches are in the NBA. And why do I say that? When you watch the NBA game uh, during the regular season, before this restart, you know, the game is more, has shifted, if you will, to more uh, opportunities to play isolation basketball. And they're they're exploiting screen roll situations or one-on-one situations to score and do the things, driving kicks, so forth and so on. The thing that was very striking to me as I watched the games yesterday was how much team oriented and they were running systems that the, you know, when I watched the Clippers play, for instance, you know, they were playing out of a system. And when I watched, you know, the Denver Nuggets play. And as I was watching these teams, I thought these coaches are really sophisticated because they have a major problem to deal with. What's that problem? They have to deal with one. You know, there's there's not enough time. So there is a there's a time element in here, meaning they just don't have enough time to put in and get guys ready to play because they've been off for so long. And then the most important thing, which is conditioning, how are you going to get players to play at their maximum? And you only have three weeks to prepare. This is a very unusual situation. And then you got to get these guys somehow to play together as a group and a team. And when I was watching the Clippers play and when I watched Denver play and then I started watching other teams play, I thought this is just, these guys are just geniuses and they've already put in different systems. I can't wait to watch the games later today just to see how many of these coaches are going to adjust on the fly. And um, that was the thing that stood out to me most is that how these player, how these coaches are going to help these players get through this unusual situation. Because clearly, playing in the bubble, I don't know what this is or how you want to term it, ter- how you want to put terms on it. But what we do know is that they have to figure out how to play, and you're going to have to figure out how to get momentum on your side. And it's easier to play with a system and five on five basketball than it is to play isolation basketball. And traditionally, as we head into the playoffs, because they're only going to have eight or so regular season games before the playoffs begin, they're going to have to figure out and figure it out very quickly. And I just thought, wow, these guys are really, really, really good. Yeah, so you talk about the system and 
I mean, I guess the, the goal here is get everybody in the flow, get everybody on the same page and correct me if I'm wrong, BJ, it's kind of like, all right, we're going to, we're going to run this stuff and then we're going to quote unquote play out of it. Right. And, and that's where the talents and the stars are going to emerge. Um, that was clear to me uh, watching uh, the Clippers in action for a bit to start it off. W- what was your reaction to uh, Mike Malone's, uh, opening lineup of five front court players with uh, the Joker at point center to uh, to get the Nuggets going. Well, as you know, Eric, I'm 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 really fond of the bigs, and I, I'm I'm a big at heart. I I just love the big guys, and as a coach, I I respected that because he gave his bigs the confidence to be able to play in today's game. And, you know, at some point here, you know, the game is going to come back to the bigs. And in that position, the five position, is the last position to integrate into what we call, what we've termed now, pace and space. You know, traditionally, bigs have been, we, we, we put them on the box and they play the game, you know, from that position, uh, playing on the post. Suddenly now, Coach Malone gave his centers – a system that they can play out of and share the wealth, if you will, as far as ball handling duties and play out of it. And, and they had the confidence to do it. So what he did was is letting his team know that our system takes precedent over, over every individual, which to me signify that if we're going to win this thing or win this championship, we're going to have to do it together because I can have anybody initiate the offense. And that, to me, was fabulous, fabulous to see. And, and I'll, 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 I'll share a story with you. Every year on New Year's Eve, we would, come back to, we would come back to practice for obvious reasons, right? Everyone's out celebrating, and then New Year's Eve, we would have a scrimmage. And every year, Phil Jackson would divide the teams up, bigs versus small. Hmm. And he would always have all of the big guys, all of the centers and the power forwards on one team and all of us guards on another team. And after like a couple years of this, I asked him, why did he do this? Because he said, I want the bigs to always have the confidence to know that they could play this game, even though, you know, we're not asking them to initiate and do the ball handling duties. But they should know that they have the capability to do it if we ever need to do it. So when I saw that, it reminded me of those scrimmages. And it was always one of the more fun days of practice for us because the bigs loved it. The guards, we loved it. And it was a battle of speed and quickness. And it forced the bigs to learn how to manage the game and do those things. So it reminded me of something I I experienced 25, 30 years ago. And then I saw it again and I thought, wow, the game really hasn't changed. <laughs> and that's what, that was my initial reaction. Because I saw it, you know, and every year we would do that. And um, so I know it's possible because I remember watching Bill Cartwright bring the ball up the court and initiate the offense with Stacey King and Scott Williams and those guys. And uh, it was uh, it was always a fun day for us because uh, the bigs did things they didn't normally do. We did things we didn't normally do as guards. And uh, that's that's what it reminded me of. So my follow up there is who would get stuck with Cartwright in the post? You know, Bill was a very physical guard. (laughs) (laughs) 
the teacher. He was the teacher, you know. Uh, you know, I, I, remember so much fun, I can't man. remember, it you know, so yeah, it was fun. it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun because it was a it was a true battle, right? So we were trying to speed the game up, they were trying to slow the game down, and then you learn. I remember, I, re, I just remember this, is that I had so much respect for offensive rebounding after these games we would play because they quickly learned, the bigs quickly learned that if they just shoot the ball up there, they had a, they had a significant advantage of getting the offensive rebound. So it made me appreciate, you know, offensive rebounding even to a greater degree because the, the play isn't over just because you shoot the ball. And... You know, they would shoot the ball because they knew they could get the offensive rebound. So then that forced us to have to box out and do other things. So um, it, it, it just it just brought a different perspective to the game. But I remember it was a battle, you know, and uh, it was a battle of styles and systems and all of those things. And and we we seen that. Well, I enjoyed it. I think all the other guys enjoyed it. And it was a, it was fun for us to do. Well, speaking of different perspectives of the game and different styles, we are. Going to dive into the Houston Rockets. BJ, so many intriguing teams and situations to look at at the NBA bubble as the season resumes. And and the team that is always high intrigue uh, when we're talking is the Houston Rockets. So today's guest, beat writer, Houston Chronicle, Jonathan Fagan, joins us on the Pure Hoops podcast. Jonathan, how are you, buddy? I'm great, thanks. How are you guys? We're doing well. We're doing well. We're all outside the bubble, but it looks as though uh, things are off to a good start from inside, from everything we've seen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the most important thing, of course, no one in the bubble has tested positive. Uh, the two positive tests were during quarantine. And of course, there were 19 before anyone traveled. But so far, the bubble seems really good. A, a way I worded it in one of my stories is they've done a very good job of doing everything possible to make sure nobody gets the virus and then acting as if everybody has the virus. So <laughs> you're outside your room, you're in a mask. It doesn't matter if we just tested you two hours ago, you know, we're going to act like you got it, even though we already know you don't. And that's a good way. It's a shame. Like Doc said, Doc Rivers said, well, you know, he is a doctor. So it's a shame we can't send the game plan to Washington. Uh, same, same page. I've been preaching that for over a week and, you know, Perfect segue into it. You know, Russell Westbrook, um, you know, had COVID. He's now returned. Uh, he's on site with the team. Uh, what's your thought on his approach to, to getting back on the floor? Obviously, he's always got that full throttle mindset. Do you think anything changes there with Russell getting back into, into rhythm? It doesn't seem that anything has changed with him. Uh, he said he was almost symptom-free. He said stuffy nose. Uh, but I will say the Rockets, they were determined to be cautious with every, as every team is after the long layoff. And they have been. They've been so far so good. No injuries in on the campus yet. With Russ, though, they will be especially careful that he doesn't try to rush himself back. That, okay, I only have one week till games. I got to push. No, they don't want that. It's just like when he came back at the start of the season, he had off-season knee surgery. Well, they were really holding him out in the preseason and training camp quite a bit, limiting some of his work when the season began. And 
you know, he wasn't the full Russ for a while. Eventually he was. But I'm sure they're going to be monitoring very closely. They're treating these eight seeding games as ways to get ready for the playoffs rather than to improve seeding position. If that happens, great. But when it comes to somebody like Russ, no, the priority isn't seeding. It's make sure he's just right August 17th. You know, Jonathan, um, you know, when you watch the Houston Rockets team, it's one thing that's very glaring uh, with the team is they have never lacked confidence, especially their star players, right? You know, you're talking about James Harden. You talk about Russell Westbrook, Mike D'Antoni, uh, Daryl, uh, Morey. And what I mean by lacking confidence is this team feels that they have the necessary pieces to come out of the Western Conference and win a championship. And everyone's talking about the, the Lakers and the Clippers and all these other teams. But can you share with us the mindset of the Houston Rockets? Because the Rockets really feel, especially when you hear the players talk and you hear the organization, that they have the components. And they've just made a big move, um, trading Clint Capella and P.J. Tucker now is at the center position. Can you talk about the, the, the confidence that this team has entering into this restart? Well, you're right on it. They, they absolutely believe in what they do. And, you know, I always go back to something Rudy Tomjanovich used to say, uh, and it applied to his championship teams, but his point was it applies to all great teams. You know who you are, and you do who you, you play that way. You play to who you are, and you know who you are. You look at the great teams, they know, especially after, in this case, 64 games, you know who you are. And the Rockets are that way. They absolutely know what they have to do to be their best. Uh, whether it's good enough, there's a whole lot we can talk about. But they're determined to play this way. They've spread the floor, empower Russ and James to be everything they can be. You know, they're, they're, all, they're not winning anything unless Russ and James are great, are often great. You know, they don't have to be every game. We all know a playoff series. We all watched you know, you can go back to your playoff series. There were plenty of them where even Michael wasn't great to his standard all seven games. But when the series was over, you'd say, man, that guy was great. Russ and James have to be great for this team to achieve anything of real significance. And they believe playing this way brings that out of them. It enables them to be the best they can be especially with what we saw teams do defensively, where they started trapping James at midcourt, in a few occasions, double teaming him in the backcourt. Now I talked to people who've been around the league, the, the newest guy had been around the league 25 years. I talked to some who'd been around the league 50 years, and they said they've never seen those defenses before for a full game, never saw them. So they're playing the way that they can be what they want to be, do the things they want to do, Despite that, it's a, it's a great quality to have, to believe in who you are. You know, Mike talks about, he's always felt this way, but with the analytics era, now there's numbers to back up what he felt. And there's numbers to express to players, this is why I believe this. So it's a good marriage of what Mike believes in and likes to do and what this particular organization believes in and will preach. Jonathan, with, with that being said, you're 
thoughts on Westbrook using the eight games to get himself ready for the playoffs. Combine that with the hiatus, the pace they like to play at, and shooting 44 threes a game. Um, how long do you anticipate it's going to take for the Rockets to get their legs and their wind and their flow going so they can actually go out there and, as you just said, do what they do best? Well, first, I've heard a lot of really good things about the practices. I've talked to quite a few people. And so guys who have to play well and, and play minutes have really looked good. Um, Jeff Green seems to have taken a step. Uh, Daniel House has looked really good. Most importantly, uh, of people who aren't Russell James, Eric Gordon looks like he never looked this year. You know, he spent the whole year dealing with the knee injury and then coming back from the knee surgery. So, and he was never right. Even though he had a few bursts, he had the 50 point game against Utah. Uh, you know, that's huge for them to have Eric Gordon be Eric Gordon. And so that goes to your question. I think in the latter half of, of the seeding games, you'll see them kind of come together. I'm assuming Russ will not play as many minutes and maybe not every game in the first four. And what's interesting about it, and I'm sure this is somewhere we were heading, but you look at the first four games and it's like the NBA said, hey, you know what, let's see how you do against size. Let's see how the pocket rockets match up with, I don't know, Milwaukee, the <laughs> Lakers, Portland. We're in Portland now, you know, with Nurkic and Zach Collins back and Hassan Whiteside. You know, we'll get the biggest team we could put together other than whatever the Nuggets threw out on the court yesterday. And we'll match them up against the Rockets. So we'll get a little bit of a look of how it, how it works. The, the small ball Rockets against the biggest teams you can find. It, it, there's a lot to parse from that. You know, with the Lakers in that game that everybody saw, that TNT game the night of the trade deadline. So when Covington wasn't starting yet, he started his next game. But Covington doesn't start. So that means the P.J. Tucker's at 6'5". They're all 6'5 and under that one night. And everybody talked about that night. Well, in truth, the Rockets have been doing the small ball for weeks and weeks before that because Clint Capella had been hurt so much. But everybody talked about that night. Well, in the second half, the two things that happened. The Lakers downsized. So JaVale McGee played very few minutes in the second half, and Dwight Howard didn't play at all. And they kept trying to force it, force it, force it to Anthony Davis, who played very well. But the Lakers have LeBron James. And it's like, really? You, you want to turn him into a guy just feeding the post and not? So the, the Lakers reacted in a way to what the Rockets did. I don't think you will see that through a full seven-game series. Teams will not get away from who they are, especially a team that good. But that's the kind of thing, and I've kind of wandered off track from your original question, but that's the kind of thing I think we'll get to see in those first four restart games. Do teams go overboard trying to exploit size? Do they downsize to match up with the Rockets? And then how do the Rockets react to whatever the answers are to those two questions? Yeah, you know, John, you make excellent points here and who they are, and I certainly admire that they – are doubling down on who they are. But can you talk about in the playoffs, what kind of adjustments can a team like this make, right? I mean, we all have to make adjustments if you're going to make a long 
you know, run in the playoffs, you know, what can they do or what's their counter to this? I get it that they, they, what they do and they do well, look, they have two, you know, top five players, you know, arguably in the NBA, they have terrific role players. Clearly they're well coached, but at some point, you know, you have to make adjustments, you have to do things. And this is a, you know, a situation where if you're going to be in a seven game series and I get the regular season, but how does that look? And what, what is that, what does that potentially look like? Or are they just willing to say, this is who we are, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to take it as far as, as we can go with it. Well, it's hard to answer until I see what they're adjusting to. You know, we saw Toronto played a diamond and won against them. The, the Clippers had very good success, sort of, I won't say packing the paint because they weren't in the paint, but sort of spreading out almost in a zone, but then matching up out of it. It was a really good defense, very different. Uh, we saw Pop do absolutely everything. Uh, you know, he, he was trapping. He was doing all kinds of stuff. And it was a game, I think it was one of Harden's 60-point games. Uh, and so can they adjust? Yeah. I mean, there's, they've had to do a variety of different things. Russ off the ball when going four on three when two were on James or when they would double later. In other words, how, how do I know what they, the adjustments will be do we see the defenses teams use different teams will do different things and they'll do different things throughout a series, but there's so many defenses we've seen this year that it's hard to predict what they'll do, but they do have the advantage of having had to do many different things um, with different varieties of success. I don't think we'll see the crazy double teams. You know, we've seen boxing ones and we've seen that, that diamond in one that, the the Raptors did. Uh, you can do different things with James off the ball more, and, and Russ bringing it up, and even initiating offense depending on what teams do. There, there's lots of options. The one thing that we do know, they are determined to play faster than they did. They played fast, much faster than the year before, but just they want to go much faster much more relentlessly, not just when Russ gets the rebound and goes. They want everybody pushing it. They want to make decisions quicker when they're in the half court. They want threes to come more from drive and kick, not just passes around the perimeter, which probably means a little bit less of, of James' step-back threes. Uh, let him go drive and pass it out and then get ball moving. They want the ball moving a little bit more. So there's a lot of things they're hoping to accomplish. And remember, they're a team that probably needed this second training camp. Other than the teams that had guys coming back from injuries, you know, Ben Simmons, Zach Collins, uh, Nurkic, who had played but was still working his way back. Other than those teams, they're the team that changed the most during the season, having in, in terms of its rotation having that second training camp might be able to get some of these things in place that they need to do differently. Jonathan, this, this is like the, the, the chess matches that are going to go on surrounding the Rockets. When you think about these defenses, the style, the new pieces, um, they're, they're really fun to think about. And, you know, 
I'm sure BJ, you faced uh, your share of box and ones and uh, <laughs> try and and diamond and ones back in the day. I mean, I I, I, I you got some open shots off those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was I was the guy you left open in those, and, and once in a while it, it would go in. But, yeah, you, but Ben McLemore got a whole lot of shots. I bet you recognized a few of those. Oh, yes, yeah. I do. Oh man, I mean, but when you think about. Harden and Westbrook penetrating against those types of defenses and those types of defenses not being natural for the opposition. The Rockets are going to find a lot of clean looks um, from deep. So, you know, talking about opposition, the the seedings, and you alluded to it earlier, I mean, there's no home court, right? So you're playing to get into rhythm, to get your guys right, but you're also keeping an eye on who you could potentially match up with or avoid. So between three and six right now, Denver, Utah, OKC, and Houston, four teams separated by two games. Is there somebody that the Rockets want to avoid in, in, that, um, in that group of teams? Is there somebody you think they would play well against, avoid? Where does your mind go there, Jonathan? Well, I think they'd rather have the Jazz again for a third straight year, but I don't think the Jazz are going to be, I don't think you can assume anything. I think they're going to be pretty good. Uh, people kind of are overlooking them. They, they're missing their second leading score. And so, if, and he was necessary last year and the year before Rockets against Jazz. The Jazz really needed another three point shooter. But you know, Jordan Clarkson, even though he wouldn't just step in, he wouldn't be the starter, he wouldn't, he helped them with more scoring uh, off time. the bench, which they needed. And they, they were, they needed that before they got him. He played very well. And now with another guy off the bench having to start, that's even more important. I wouldn't overlook them, but no, they, they'd rather play the jazz than the nuggets and probably than the Mavericks. I don't know that the Rockets and Mavericks will both move up to where, especially since one of the eight games is between them, but a four or five Houston Dallas series uh, I don't know that you want to pick out the Mavericks. I, I, so I think you'd rather have the Jazz than them or the Nuggets. The Nuggets, that's a really fun, interesting matchup. Because uh, Jokic, he's either the best or second best center in the league. The Rockets have had some success making him run. And, you know, Capella was really good at that. Like, okay, keep up with me. It's not going to be easy to keep up with Covington, you know, running the floor, get down the floor with him. But on the, but of course, we've heard a lot. He looks like he's in much better shape. Maybe he can run better. And then all of his advantages still exist on the other end. It's just, that's a really good matchup. And when you were talking about adjustments, one of the ones I was thinking more is the Rockets defense adjusting. So do they double-team him? How do they double-team them? If they do, that can change throughout a series. And then he's such a great passer. Does he burn that? Like you say, they're such, the Rockets are so interesting in so many ways. Even when you start talking about matchups, it's interesting. But no, I think you'd probably go in preference among those that group. And then I haven't even mentioned the Thunder, which would be so fun. Uh, Chris Paul against Russell Westbrook. That would be that would be wonderful, and I mean the, the that matchup, and of course uh, the Thunder, of course, playing so much of that three point guard look. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, then Stephen Adams rolling down the lane presents a, a different set of challenges 
for the Houston defense, but who's he chasing on the other end uh, is the big question. Yeah, I, mean, I think he's could, not going to play a lot of minutes. Yeah, if he, yeah. If match up. You could see you could see five on five straight guards uh, both ways in that. You, you know, Jonathan. Um, you know, there's some talk with um, Coach D'Antoni and his age going down to the bubble. Can you kind of give us a, an update on how he's doing? I know there was some discussion here as, as far as him going down, whether he was going to go or not going to go. And uh, can you just give us an update there on, on, on his situation? Yeah, I've talked to him quite a few times in these last couple of weeks. He never considered not going. Uh, he's in really good health. Uh, you know, he doesn't have any issues. Well, a few years ago, he had plantar fasciitis, but you get in your 60s, about everybody does. But I don't think plantar fasciitis makes you more susceptible to the virus, thankfully. Uh, so, and that, I think that's gone anyway. Now, he's in really good health, and uh, so he never really had a concern. And, boy, it's a lot safer in the bubble than it is living here in Texas, uh, where he did. So, you know, he's been really raving about the protocols and how diligent everybody around has been about following them. So he, he said he feels really safe. Uh, he's mostly just coaching, you know, coaching meetings, team meetings, practices. Um, I think he did play cornhole one day. Uh, I imagine he's filled out a whole bunch of crossword puzzles by now. But uh, he, he's pretty happy with how it's gone there. Uh, the guy really still loves coaching. Uh, 69 years old and he's been doing it for quite a while and he's still really like he likes especially he likes being around this team uh he likes this group you know the thing russ is such a strong personality but the thing a lot of people don't know is he's a great teammate and if you're a coach you really like that with somebody with that big a personality is a really good teammate you know he's the guy if you send a text message to he calls you back and asks about your kids and he asks how you're doing and what did you do? Did you get out? Did you do something today? You know, he's that kind of guy. And, you know, people didn't know that in Houston until he got there. He'd spent his whole career on a, a different franchise in Oklahoma city. And so they find that out. And, you know, it's one of the reasons Mike really likes coaching this group. He and James have always gotten along really well. PJ Tucker and he, uh, another kind of big personality guy. So he really likes this group. Uh, and he, he would not have sat out in the bubble. He was going to be there. Yeah, I think that's one of the things people, you know, and, and knowing Russell, I, can't, I believe he's in his 12th year now, and I've been knowing Russell for quite some time, is, you know, the way he plays and then off the court, you know, people, he, you know, he's just, you know, he's like a, he's a gentle soul in that way. And a very caring, very understanding family man. And um, people were, concerned. I remember when the trade, you know, first happened, people were really concerned about how that was going to mix, but people didn't realize that James and Russell, they've been friends for years. And can you talk about how you've seen their relationship kind of grow and mature and, and what do you think the possibility or what it could look like in the future? Yeah, I'm not real sure if it's changed or even grown um, because it goes so far back. It goes back before their days with the Thunder. Uh, right. they, they go back to L.A. together. So uh, they're close. I mean, they're, they're real to where if they want, they can get on the other. And, and Will, and it's cool. It's like my brother and I, you know, we, or the, we, we can kid each other. And, you know, they can be real with one another. And they're tight. They enjoy each other's company. Uh, 
Um, but that's been true forever. You know, this goes back to Oklahoma City days. We all saw that. We saw that in the all-star games that followed, that they enjoyed being around each other again. And, you know, we see it here. But that's the thing that my takeaway from it is they're just very real with one another. It's just natural. It's not forced. There's no effort to it. It just there's a whole lot of history there, and it's all good. Jonathan, you've been covering the team now for, you know, over two decades, um, <laughs> just after the, the back-to-back championships. And, you know, Houston's a proud sports town. Obviously, the Astros have captured a World Series. Uh, the Texans are a highly competitive NFL team. What, what would it mean to Houston for the Rockets to, to make a deep run, come out of the West and more so, how how starved is that fan base to be back on that NBA final stage? Yeah, it you know, if you go back to the mid-90s when the Rockets won it, it, it captured the whole city, like it, like any championship team does to a degree. But it was really, you know, the way I used to put it, they, they were one of those, you know, dental hygienist teams, FMDJ teams to where you go to get your teeth cleaned and the dental hygienist is going to say, hey, did you see the Rockets last night? You know, <laughs> the FMDJ said, hey, don't forget, Rockets tonight, you know, game four. And that's the way they were and remained for years that followed to where it captured the city. And so that would happen again. And there is a hunger for the Rockets to do well because they've been – a, a contender or a, a significant team for so long. You know, if, if the Spurs don't win, the, I think this is true. If the Spurs don't get in the playoffs this year, I think the Rockets have the longest playoff chance. I know in the last four years, uh, in other words, Mike D'Antoni's tenure, I think the Raptors have the best record by one game over the Rockets. So they're not a team that it's suddenly relevant. They've been a team that you talk about if you're in town, if you're a sports fan in town. And it's been true for years. So, yeah, it would mean a lot to this city to have a long playoff run. There was some real disappointments, you know, that also, you know, it's like players, they come back after a really hard playoff loss one year with some fuel for the next year. You know, Keem always told me that he really thought that 15-0 start to the first championship year came from losing game seven the year before in overtime in Seattle. And he said that, that just drove us. It drove us that whole training camp. And then that 15 and 0 start, the city has some of that losing to the warriors, the the way they have in the few of these years, there is some real hunger. It it would absolutely capture the city, although everything's different because nobody would be actually at the games. It would be interesting. You know, after the championship, everybody poured out onto Richmond Avenue. And it just was just all together out there. Would they do that? Would they come out of their houses and go, hey, let's go drive downtown? You know, I don't know. Well, it would be interesting to find out, though. You, you know, John, you've covered the team for a long time. And and I've, I've often wanted to ask someone who is down in Houston. You've had, you've had a history of just incredible talented players, right? Whether it's Akeem Olajuwon, currently have James Harden and Russell Westbrook, Elvin Hayes, Moses Malone, Tracy McGrady. 
But there's this one player that's always kind of stuck out to me. And I wanted to ask you about it and what you think they would have done if he if it wasn't cut short of injury is Ralph Sampson. What is the thought of Ralph Sampson? Because he was so ahead of his time. I can't imagine if he was coming out today, a player with his skill set and the teaming and the pairing with Akeem Olajuwon. If he doesn't get injured or had knee problems, how great do you think him and Akeem Olajuwon, what do you think they would have achieved if they were fully healthy and had time to, to play with one another for some time? Well, two things. If he doesn't have that fall in Boston and doesn't get hurt, and he was not quite the same after ever. He's a Hall of Famer, so he's had a, ter- yes. he's had a terrific career. But And then, you know, that 86 team came apart with, with just a whole lot of drug use and suspensions to where that was a really good team. It gets to the finals in Akeem's second season. So if both of those things were different, if you could change, you, know, you, you just can't lose John Lucas, Lewis Lloyd, and Andrew Wiggins. And, you know, there's, you, you lost two. Mitch Wiggins, sorry. Uh, am I listening to this up? No, I'm, I'm Wiggins. You can't lose yes. Wiggins. And yep. Lewis Lloyd, and John Lucas, and have uh, Ralph go down and get hurt. Uh, so that team never became everything it could be. And it was a finals team. But it never got to be all that it could have been. And, so if those two things, you win championships, you know, at least you win some and maybe multiple. And how cool would that have been? Because the Lakers were so great around that time to have a second team. You know, would the Rockets against the Lakers in 87 and 88 have been something more like, you know, Bulls getting past the Pistons or Pistons mm-hmm. versus Celtics? You know, there, there wasn't uh, the, the Western Conference, the, the great playoff rivalries were in the Eastern Conference in the 80s, I think, before you get to the finals, of course. Would the Rockets have been that, the perfect foil for the Showtime Lakers? Right. It would have been yeah. pretty great to see. For sure. different because the Lakers did not have, I mean, nobody had a keen, you know, just... You know, and then the other question, when people talk about if questions, and I really thought you were going there, is and what would have happened if the Rockets and Bulls played? Uh, I, I was going to ask you that, Johnson, but I, I didn't well, want to. Well, now that we, we're, we're here. talking another two now hours, no. <laughs> Jonathan's got to come back. Jonathan's got to come back because this is a two hour conversation. Okay. Jonathan has to come back. <laughs> the what and if? I have to. The what if? What if? Because I've been listening to Kenny Smith talk about this. And I've been thinking about it, and I said I'm gonna. I don't want to hit. I don't want to blindside my friend. I want to have him time to prepare. But would you please come oh, back? Oh, I'm prepared. Yeah, I'm prepared. Please come back, and we could talk about it and discuss this because, I mean, those were great teams, and that we were all in the kind of the thick of it. Clearly, Akeem was. You know, he was Akeem. Jordan was in his height of his career. Those were great teams. Otis Thorpe, Kenny Smith, Sam Cassell, uh, you know, my my guy, Mad Max. And uh, that would be a great discussion, though. That would be a great discussion. Hey, John. Anytime. You know I'm a troublemaker. I had to bring it up. <laughs> but, but, you know, let me, let me ask one final thing, because I would love his answer on this. And we've been, um, from specific guests, we've been getting some great things about their um, – 
conference finals memories of specific years. So because you are so in tune with the Rockets and Elijah Wan, can you describe for us what the 95 conference finals were like when the six seed Rockets took down the San Antonio Spurs and MVP David Robinson and how legendary of a performance that was by Elijah Wan? Well, it, it was very special. You know, I've seen a lot of the all-time great series and performances, and that one certainly was up there. And the thing David said, and that was the reaction I was having at the time. I remember thinking it even in the Alamo Dome. Um, so that would have been games. It was, it was like in the middle of the series, you know, when they went back to San Antonio and you know, it was San Antonio was obviously the home team. The Rockets were on the road in every series. So game five, I remember thinking, he's playing really well. David Robinson is, he looks like the MVP. And Akeem is clearly outplaying him. But David, and then he eventually said it. He said, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I thought I played really well. He was right. He played really well. And Akeem was on a whole other level. And just doing things you just do not see. You know, he was at the height of his powers, you know, where he still had all that athleticism. He's still so quick, but he could use it in any way he wanted. And then it was all the stuff that he started learning under Guy Lewis and then Carol Dawson taught him and he believed in. It was all about counter moves. I have a counter move for everything. And David would make him do the counter move and then the next counter move and then the next counter move. And that made Akeem just unbelievable because it was how good David was that made Akeem be incredible. And I do remember thinking that it's several times in that series, but there's one day in particular in the dome that it, I'm watching this and just, I'm sure my mouth was open because he was that great. Yeah. The baseline drop step, reverse pivot, shot fake, shot fake. And David Robinson looks like he's on a pogo stick and doesn't know where to jump. And uh, th those highlights in that series are uh, one, one heck of a memory to revisit. Uh, Jonathan, thank you. This was, this was great today, and we really, really appreciate the time. And uh, hopefully you uh, stay safe down there in Houston, and we will, uh, we will plan the 1994 What If Houston Rockets <laughs> Chicago Bulls podcumentary with yourself and BJ Armstrong. We got to get Kenny Smith on here too. I mean, we got to, got to make this an all out brawl, I guess. Right. Well, you know, the thing is I did a story about the 25th anniversary, actually a series of stories a few weeks ago. And Kenny and I, we did our interview. And then we talked about that and it went on and on. So a lot of the stuff you've been hearing from him lately came from that conversation because he's citing stats that I was giving him. So, yeah, I'm a little bit of a troublemaker on that one. But, uh, hey, uh, we're getting to talk basketball again, right? So, absolutely. It's, uh, it's so good to get to talk about basketball again. For sure. For sure. Thanks, Jonathan. Take care, guys. Enjoyed it. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Great stuff there from Jonathan Fagan. Uh, BJ, so many unique things that go along with who the Rockets have been in the past, who they are right now in the bubble, and um, – I'm so excited to see uh, their style, their personnel in this environment. Uh, how are you feeling about the Rockets as we look ahead here to uh, getting this restart going? 
Well, it's one thing I really respect about the Rockets is that they believe in their system and they believe in what they're doing. And I think that all comes down from their leadership and Mike D'Antoni of understanding his strengths of what, you know, this team can and can't do. And the fact that they, they're going with it. And, you know, I haven't seen a team win a championship with this system and with this style of play, but I certainly have to respect that they are going with it. They understand what they can and can't do and they're, they're playing to their strength. So we'll see uh, if it works or not. And uh, certainly they have a, a, a team that will be exciting. It'll be fun. And um, hopefully for them and the Rockets fans, they'll get the results that they're looking for. I'm excited. I'm excited. I was, uh, I, I was really engaged in what I saw with uh, the scrimmages and will continue to be, I'm sure, during the weekend. So uh, great job today, my friend. We're getting our legs back under us. And uh, we've got some, some special stuff coming down the pipe that uh, will be debuting as the season gets going and amping up our shows. So another great one today, BJ. Thank you, my man. And uh, you have a good weekend and we'll, uh, we'll pick it up next week. Another great show today. Special thanks as always to my partner, BJ Armstrong, the one and only Bruce Bernstein, producer, Mike Lieber, editor, Benjamin Wolfen, and the entire pure hoops media family. Be sure to check out the Mike Wise show each and every Monday. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams Tuesdays. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin on Wednesdays. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure on Thursdays. And the Pure Hoops Podcast with BJ Armstrong and yours truly, Eric Newman. At the end of each week, stay tuned for some exciting new content coming at you during the NBA restart. Be safe, be healthy, and of course, stay pure. Have a great weekend, everybody. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.